0: Hey, welcome back. Uh, This is episode two of the Uptime Podcast. I'm your co-host, Dan Blewett, and I'm joined here by lightning protection expert, Alan Hall. Alan, how's it going out there? Great, Dan. How are you? Good. So uh, what's the latest on your quarantine?
1: Everybody's still quarantined. They just uh, announced the other day that the schools are all closed until May 4th. Everybody was supposed to go back April 7th, roughly. So they pushed it back another thirty days. Uh, so we're going to be in self isolation at least another thirty days. And they then they closed all non essential businesses, which means pretty much everything is closed around here right now.
0: Man, uh, what's uh, so? What's your family doing to stay stir crazy or to keep from going stir crazy?
1: Well, uh, for right now, we're trying to get outside a little bit. It's actually close to sixty degrees today, so it's what? nice to see some sunshine. Yeah, I know. Tell me about it, right? So you know, earlier, <laughs> not very long ago, it was a blizzard outside and now we have some some decent weather and i just got a couple of texts this afternoon saying uh that people are heading outside to get some get some of the sunshine so hopefully there's a little bit of a turnaround otherwise if we get stuck in the house for another 30 days it's going to be trouble i have a feeling
0: yeah have you ever played any of those um they're like these electronic uh sort of like family home games i think they're by jack hole is the company there's one called quiplash they're kind of like you so you can do it on uh, like Xbox or any of those systems but you can also play on the web and uh I think it's like a subscription fee my brother in law has it, my sister, but you all like sign in so you create a room and then everyone has like a room code and you go to the room code to the you know on their their company's website, yeah and you all enter the room code so then you're all in and then you use your phone as like your playing device and uh-huh. so there's like trivial ones there's ones where you like you all draw a thing and then it like uses it and you try to guess who drew it or you get like it's. There's lots of really quirky. It's pretty fun. I, I mean, it's a, yeah, guys, I haven't,
1: I haven't heard of that. Well, yeah.
0: any, anything to kill the time right now. I mean, we're looking for everything. Yeah. So I think my family tonight, we're going to try to do a zoom call and screen record that. So I think if we, we screen captured the game, <laughs> we all logged in on our phones. I think it should work. So we're going to try that out. But, uh, but yeah, it's, a. Uh, fascinating time right now
1: uh, you're speaking about uh zoom and everything together there's been so many it's so much zoom calling going on it seems like the internet has come to a uh, crawl at least in western massachusetts it's really slowed down a good bit because everybody's trying to do work from home and and doing video calls which is good right i mean at least we have the option but
0: it does slow down the internet the old interwebs is uh, is heavily heavily loaded at this heavily time heavily
1: loaded yeah there's a guy in front of the house this morning fixing the the uh, internet cable and i thought well okay at, at least at least the the repair guys are still out there i'm sure they're pretty busy cuz any sort of outage is going to be a crisis right now
0: yeah yeah i mean if people lose internet and they lose netflix and and, Lulu and all that. its trouble, the world is going to literally <laughs> implode like a dark star it 's going to be a mess yeah it's it 's going to go bad fast, yeah, so you mean I have to talk to my my family and friends? you mean I have to play board games I have to read <laughs> we're not we 're not capable of doing that as a society, yeah. not today not today no. no so so last last episode, we talked a little bit about the growing size of uh, of of wind turbines and um, you could probably tell my accent, I, I call them wind turbines, but I'm going to start softening that eye. <laughs> um, w- you know, with these wind turbines getting bigger and bigger and bigger blades are getting bigger and bigger and bigger. You know, the composite materials are extremely durable cause they have yeah. to be. Yeah. Um, so we sort of briefly mentioned some of the issues with, uh, blade waste. So when these turbines go out of, uh, at a commission, those blades have got to go somewhere. So we were chatting about this off camera, um, how how big of a problem is this for the industry right now?
1: Well, it's just really starting about now uh, because the, based around when the wind turbines went up, it's roughly a 20, 15, 20 year lifespan. So back in the early 2000s, particularly in, in the United States, there's a lot more wind turbines going up. And uh, so they were starting to reach their useful life and we're pulling the blades off and taking the towers down, the cells down, and then trying to dispose of the uh, the blades. I've seen a couple of interesting articles. I think there was one on Bloomberg the other day where they're they're talking about uh, essentially burying the blades, just big, putting a deep hole in the ground and, and putting the blades in. The blades are made out of mostly f- of fiberglass, some sort of resin system epoxy, or it's mostly epoxy, some sort of, some sort of plastic like that, and balsa wood is a big one, right? So balsa wood is used to sort of as part of the reinforcement to make it a stiff, stiffer structure. And then there's some metal work and things kind of down, the, down at the bottom where it attaches to the, the hub of the wind turbine. So they're, they're essentially bearing in them. Uh, I've seen a couple of places where they've uh, chopped up those wind turbine blades and are trying to rebuild other things with them, which is possible. I mean, it's be fiberglass, chop fiberglass, which they can use in different things. But, I haven't seen they're they're so massive. I think the the killer right now is they're so massive. It's hard to just easily dispose of something that big. So it's yeah. a struggle right now. It really is a struggle.
0: I mean, it, you know, you look at the size of them, especially as you're just driving by, you know, a car or something. Especially the more you know, the the onshore wind farms aren't nearly as big as some of the gigantic offshore ones. Yeah. Um, but even then, I don't think you really get a so. I was out flying a drone getting some footage and and taking photos of these for some content that, you know, you and I have been creating. Sure. And you don't really get a sense of the scale of these things until you're up close. When you're up close, I was in this wind farm (laughs) in like West Virginia and I was getting really close to it and I was approaching on my car and then I I went up this hill and then suddenly there were no, there were no turbines in view. And then as I got to the crest of this hill, suddenly one just was there and it was almost like scary. You're like, Oh yeah. my God, like that thing is enormous. And when yeah. you really get up close, you, you start to see the gravity of just how big these things are and you start thinking about repairing them and in, I mean, installing them, just all of this stuff. I mean, they're just a really, they're just massive machines. So as the scale yeah. keeps increasing, what, what other problems um, is the industry facing with scale? Well,
1: well, there's a couple. There's a couple of bigger issues right now with scale. Uh, one in installation. So if you start from the well, one you, when just manufacturing something that big gets very difficult because yeah. you, you just need the tooling for it to make it something that big. And then once you make it, how do you move it? Yeah, so a, lot of, a lot of times uh, factories are built nearby or relatively nearby where the wind turbine farm is going to be, so they can uh, usually take them by truck and. Uh, truck them over to their final destination. I've seen a lot of things, I think, in Belfast, Northern Ireland. They've been doing things where they're make, making blades and then putting them on ships and then shipping them out from there. It's, it's hard to move something as massive as these wind turbine blades. And then the cells yeah. in the towers, the same thing. It's all the same problem. Um, up here in sort of western Massachusetts where it's pretty hilly, they have to even put in roads uh, so the trucks can make it up uh, to the top of the mountains where they're going to install the wind turbine blades. And then, obviously, there's a lot of infrastructure that has to happen to 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 mount something so massive, so it doesn't tip over. There's concrete work, a lot of groundwork has to happen. And and then once it's installed, obviously you you have big cranes. So everything just gets massively larger. Yeah. And it, particularly as you get out in the ocean, same thing the 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 cranes and the machinery it takes to put these things together just gets massive,
0: yeah, I was watching a a video I think it was on I think it was on Instagram. I'm sure the a bigger clip is on on YouTube, but they were taking this huge blade and trying to get up this windy mountain road, yeah and it was on exactly. this, this truck that could raise the blade vertically. So that it could accommodate some of these, I mean, really sharp turns. I mean, sharp turns that you would have to slow down just driving in a little Coupe de Ville or something. So, (laughs) yeah. But I was looking at the mechanism on this thing and I'm like, good grief. Because it's the same as like when you have a a pretty long couch and it won't fit, you know, horizontally down. And so you have to lift (laughs) it up with your partner and it's the worst (laughs) thing ever. It's exactly like that. Yeah. And you're doing that on a massive scale on a truck and you wonder, all right, well, when that blade goes to its most vertical position, whatever that is, yeah. those trucks probably can't have much margin for error. No. Just just, I mean, they're gonna tip. No. You know, if you get a big right. gust, it could blow the whole truck over. It's right. gonna be it's, really scary.
1: Yeah. And if you ever watch one of those things go down the road, there's a lot of people in front and back. Uh, and as they go up the particularly here where you can see them go up the mountains, there's a lot of people watching on either side and around and the winds have to be just right and you have to yeah. find the right day. It can't be snowy outside. You, you, there's a lot of things that have to go in your favor to get the thing. Uh, put together it, it's not just as simple and many years ago i kind of worked on a program where they were to take basically an airship and and lift up things like this uh, wind turbine blades and just basically pick them up at the factory and fly them where they got to go and then drop them down and of course that never happened but hmm. i mean in, in an ideal world that's would be something you can do because if you go across the midwest and the in the in the summertime in particular, you, most times, like if you're going down to Interstate 70 or Interstate 80 in the Midwest, um, you'll see wind turbines on trucks going up yeah. and down the highway. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a lot of them. Uh, mm-hmm. It's surprising at the number they they can produce in any one time. But the and just thinking about sort of the, the the scale of management of something like that, it takes a lot of organization and a lot of coordination to do that safely.
0: Yeah. And so when you think about, you know, how long, all right, so it's so painstaking and expensive, requires so much manpower to get it where it needs to go. Then once you finally install it, um, obviously you want to take every measure and every precaution to keep them just in service. You don't have to replace a dang blade somewhere down the road. So, you know, what are some of the, I know there's tons of redundancy on, on them and there's lots of engineering but what are they doing besides, you know, not just lighting protection, but just to keep them in service as much as they can and can be?
1: Well, it, it, when they started, uh, one of the things they obviously have to do with any sort of composite structure, uh, be it an airplane or a wind turbine blade or even uh, Corvettes, which are made out of made out of fiberglass for a long time, is you want to make sure that that structure is uh, sound and it's a little bit different than uh, something that's made out of metal where you can kind of see a deformation or things of that sort. What you're seeing in a, in a composite piece is there's multiple layers of, in this case, fiberglass and balsa wood inside. Um, if those layers internally start to buckle with in respect to one another, or if they become, what we call delaminated. So they start to separate over time. That's got to get fixed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, in originally and the way it started was they would put, uh, repair people or inspectors on ropes and they go down and you can kind of tap test or you know, there's a bunch of visual techniques that you can use to inspect the blades. And so they would go up and down the blades, each of the blades to make sure structurally structure everything is still okay. Because your worst case scenario is you miss some significant structural uh, deformation, degradation, and that blade goes bad and it breaks, right? That, okay. That's sort of your worst case nightmare because the cascading effects are, are expensive. So, but more recently, what we're seeing is a lot of robotics being used, cameras on drones, uh, or drones that are physically attached or somehow stick to the blade and kind of climb up the blade. Yeah, they, they're inspecting the blades that way to get some some better assurance of the structural integrity of the blade, because ultimately, in any composite structure, the key is just to keep following up and repairing them. Uh, if if you keep them uh, in decent shape over time you can extend the lifetime if you uh, abuse them not take care of them like any anything you have that takes a lot of wear and tear it's going to shorten its lifetime so Mm -hmm. there's a big emphasis on maintaining inspecting you're seeing a lot more um i think just because of the ease of it because we can do things robotically with drones and with really high-tech cameras we can do a lot more inspections, and it's a lot faster than it used to be. So I think the, the number of inspections and, and the quality of inspections are going to go way up, which will also help extend the lifetime of some of these blades.
0: Yeah. It's interesting. You talk about drones. I was, I was reading an article about the uh, DJI company and, and their founder, Frank Wing, yeah. who is uh, still a, a young guy. He's, I think, in his uh, mid to late 30s. But DJI owns 77% of the U.S. drone market. I mean, they're just... yeah far and away and they've just like destroyed their competition. I mean, I think their next biggest single company competitor is like 3% share of the U S drone market. Wow. Yeah. It's a huge, and they said it's almost problematic because their DJI is almost now competing with themselves to on like pricing. Like they've done so much to price other people out of the market. Like DJI's drones are just better and they're cheaper now than others. And now they're struggling to outdo themselves almost on price. But, um, there's a, there's a new competitor in the drone market uh, called the Impossible Drone where their uh, CEO worked for Tesla, and he's actually building yeah. a frame of these drones out of a battery. So you can basically pack way more energy storage into this drone rather than having removable battery packs. So the, I guess the Impossible Drone right now claims about two hours of battery life, of flight, wow, flight cool. time versus about 30 minutes or maybe yeah. a little more for a DJI drone, wow. which is really interesting. Yeah, I mean, that's a, especially... That's
1: a, Con- good, s- conceptual thought. So they're actually taking the structure, making the structure re- rechargeable. Is that what it is?
0: Yeah, they said. I guess with with Tesla cars, the battery is is integrated, or it it essentially sort of is the frame, and that's how mm. they have such a low center yeah. of mass. Yeah, and they right. they can True. do such. Uh, I guess they have really good cornering and acceleration and stuff like that because of it. Yeah. So yeah. kind of applying those principles to the drone, which is really interesting.
1: Wow. Well, yeah. Well, obviously, drone. Time And battery life for, for anything we're using it's today is, is, is just totally huge, right? And, and if you can extend the, the life of a battery or keep a, a drone in the air longer, it just makes things so much more efficient. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, of course, the one caveat hmm. that I was thinking of as I was reading is, you know, like with camera uh, in the camera market, like, you know, we have cameras rolling and um, with like all the wireless audio almost all of those pro model audio recorders and receivers and lavalier mics, they actually run off replaceable batteries. And, and, and this is the, 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 the thought is that if your drone is the battery and it doesn't have a rechargeable, replaceable battery that you can pull out and pop in a fresh one, yeah. then you're limited to two hours and then you have to stop and recharge it. Whereas if you have a right. DJI, you know, another drone or any battery operated thing, sure, it might only be in the air for 30 minutes, but if you have eight batteries, you can be in the air for four, five, six hours if you're in a really remote location, whereas right. you don't have to stop and actually charge it in. So I guess there's give and take with the, you know, whether plugging it into, it, you know, the mm, device itself is yeah, better sure. versus having the rechargeable. Because, you know, if you're a, you know, a, a, an audio guy or an audio girl on, on set for 10 hours and you're doing, you're in charge of the mics, oh, yeah. you got to replace the batteries. So you, can't, you can't sit and you know, these thousand dollar microphones and microphone receivers, you can't put them down and charge them (laughs) for two hours while you grab your other thousand dollar one. Like you need to just pop new batteries in and go. So it's, it's an interesting kind of back and forth with all that. Um, so what else are they, are they doing in the industry to, to help maintain or like, or what else is, um, what other innovations do we have right now as far as maintenance?
1: So the, the, the big one for wind turbine blades right now is is a, sort of a combination. It's uh, making sure that the blade structure is there. So we're seeing a lot more work. Well, there's just three things, actually. There's there's a lot more work in terms of inspection. So the, the drones are really big and, and the cameras that are using the drones and that some of the thermal aspects there. You can do, use some thermal cameras to do some inspection. Hmm. The second is uh, the what kind of fiber is going into the blades. Because the blades are getting so large, they need essentially stronger fiber, and yeah. that's carbon fiber. So, they're moving away from fiberglass in some aspects and putting stronger fiber in. Carbon fiber has been used in the airplane industry forever, uh, uh, but it's, it's more expensive, and that's why your airplanes are so much, so much more money than a wind turbine blade. So, the wind turbine industry has been using cheaper materials, Still acceptable materials for the environment they're in, but when the blades get so big, you need to put stronger fiber in. So they're putting carbon fiber in. And then the third thing is they're they're doing a lot of things on lightning protection because one of the biggest structural uh, damage causing um, events is lightning. And mm-hmm. so the lightning protection systems are, are changing over time. Uh, they're getting smarter and they're retrofitting a lot of the wind turbine blades that are out in the field right now with better lightning protection. Again, to get into the longer service life, uh, extend the blades out as far as they humanly can to get the most energy out of them before they have to remove them.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Um, And there's a lot of fail-safes. As, as well. Like, I, I've seen a couple, I've yep. seen a, a lot of videos of <laughs> when turbines, you know, go wrong, whether they get hit by yeah. lightning and they, they catch on fire, or, you know, the nacelle catches on fire, or yeah. you've seen a couple of them where I guess they're in a storm and they get spinning so fast and they get out of control and then they eventually. Just explode, essentially. Yeah, something's um,
1: gone wrong in those situations, right? Be- because the blades, the, they know what the wind speeds are, and they know mm-hmm. how fast the, the turbine is spinning. And they have braking systems. So we have a couple of different systems. So basically, you, you you take the blades. The blades rotate and pivot, um, similar to a propeller. On a lot of uh, propeller-driven aircraft, the, the propeller actually rotates a little bit. So you can uh, basically, it's similar to a sail on a, on a sailboat. Uh, yeah, you kind of take the sail out of the wind, and they doesn't rotate as fast. They can do that. Then they also have uh, essentially what it looks like a set of disc brakes inside the nacelle. So there's brake pads and a and a and a and a mm-hmm. rotor, and it just grabs hold of it and slows the thing down. When those things don't work, you have some sort of probably computer fader or some significant mechanical failure. Yeah, then it can spin to the point of going to catastrophic.
0: Yeah, those, are, those videos are, are pretty intense. And, yeah, you know, it, it's funny that people just, I guess some people that just live close, they just start to peek out the window and they're like, that thing's acting strange. <laughs> Pull out their camera. And yeah. then two minutes later, they're like, Good grief! Like this whole thing just goes, and they catch that moment on on camera. But
1: well, if you think about how much energy exactly. is in one of those, uh, when one of those wind turbines lets go like that, the weight of those blades and how yeah. fast they're moving, and when it all comes apart, there's a tremendous amount of energy in that explosion. I mean, it's not a, it's not dynamite, for example, but. Uh, When that thing lets go, there's a lot of energy there, so you don't want to be anywhere near it. If you see something like that going on across the Midwest, you see people taking pictures of that kind of stuff. Again, Mm -hmm. I think way too close uh, because you have no idea where those parts are going to go, how it's going to come apart. It's better just to let it get back and let it go.
0: Well, yeah, when they're just doing their thing and spinning at a, you know, their normal pace, the the yeah. tips are still going 100 plus miles per hour. So oh, yeah, visibly going way too fast. I mean, what are they? 200, 300 miles per hour at the tip speeds at that point?
1: Well, yeah, when they let loose like that, they've got to be right because yeah, I think the crazy. tip speeds are roughly in the 100 to 200 mile an hour range, uh, depending on the on the design of the wind turbine blade. Yeah, so if they get let loose.
0: I mean, they're moving. Yeah,
1: they're going to go as fast until the structure can no longer handle it, and that's when it'll let go. So it'll go as fast as it humanly can, and then boom, that's it.
0: It's yeah. over. Yeah. Well, and then the uh, you know the the uh, the pole that they're attached to the ground with. I mean, that thing just crumbles yeah. like it's made of you know like wet cardboard at that point. too. So.
1: well, yeah. Well, you think about the way that's designed. It's designed to take essentially load straight down through it, and a little bit of wobble, uh, mm-hmm. right? So there's some side loads it'll take. It's not meant to take, well, if the blade hits it, it's not meant to take that at all. I mean, it just buckles yeah. it. Um, if it has massive silos, if the, one of the blades comes off, which tends to happen, one of the blades will come off and then there's a huge wobble, it can't take those loads either, and it is basically self-destructs. It just folds over. It can't take those loads. It's made for normal operation stuff. But that's the, the thing I've noticed about the way those nacelles and the towers are assembled and designed they tend to crumple, like they don't go spreading out all over the place. They tend to go kind of straight down. So from a mm-hmm. safety standpoint, that's exactly what you want, right? You don't want it flipping off and getting pulled out of the ground and flipping over to the next wind turbine, hitting the next wind turbine over. Yeah. It's If it all collapses around itself, you, you still have a mess, but it's not cascading, which is the worst case nightmare. You have cascading, particularly in a fire situation where it moves from one wind turbine to the next one. That's That's – a
0: big problem. Yeesh. Yeah. So (laughs) there's a funny soundbite of our, of our current president talking about how dangerous wind turbines are to birds. (laughs) How, how, how dangerous are they actually to birds and do birds Uh, pose any threat to them, to the device itself?
1: uh, The birds don't affect the wind turbines. Uh, You know, I think the, there's sort of two schools of thought about it. And I've I've read differing opinions about it. And there's been a lot of research because, uh, you know, Birds uh, dying around wind turbines is a is a thing, and we, and particularly bats and the one I see mostly up here is bats. So the the industry is doing a lot of different things to discourage birds and bats from getting close to them. I think the the thing about it and what I've seen more recently is there's a sort of a suction effect that goes on. If you can imagine. Uh, you know, obviously, the like on, on an airplane wing, right? The air moving over top of the wing is moving faster than on the bottom of the wing. It creates this sort of prefer- pressure differential, mm-hmm. and that's what, in theory, creates lift, right? So, yeah. on a wind turbine blade, it's a very similar thing. You get these big pressure waves, and the pressure waves are so massive that it can uh, uh, basically disorient or damage damage the bird slash bat. Where um, they, you know, it just essentially kills them. Uh, th- those things, it's not really avoidable, right? If you get so close to the turbine, it's not something you can do. So, I th- some of the more recent research I've seen is ways to sort of discourage the birds and bats from getting close to the wind turbines to begin off to begin with, so such that those events don't happen. There's just there's not a lot you're going to do here. Um, yeah, but it is important from just, you know, in any, any sense, you know, you, 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 the reason you're putting wind terms up to begin with is to have a sort of a greener economy and, a, yeah, and something you care about the environment. Efficient. Yeah. You care about the environment, right. And, and the animals around us are important to us. So we need them as part of the ecology. Um, so we're seeing a lot more, I think it was last summer. I saw a, a number of papers talking about the, the bird bat situation and different tests, testing things that are going on around the, at least in the United States, um, where they're trying to discourage uh, those animals from flying around uh, wind turbines. And I think you're going to see some success there. Uh, I, I know the industry is monitoring it. I know people really care about it, and they should. So it's like anything else, like we're learning from the experience and, and making it better, which is what, we, sh- as engineers, we should be doing.
0: Yeah, we could have like a little like a ball turret on the bottom of the turbine, and when something gets close, it senses them <laughs> and shoots it shoots food the exact opposite way. So we we'll are yeah. just go, go chasing it. These
1: are my well, big, I mean, are my big ideas. Yeah, well, if you're a bird or a, a bat, what else is moving at those speeds that's that massive at that yeah, nothing. altitude? Nothing. Yeah, nothing. Right, nothing. nothing. Nothing is, right? So it, it isn't like uh, <laughs> next to the ground there's a truck coming by. I think a lot of animals at this point realize there's a truck coming by and get out of the way. But wind turbines are a new thing in their environment, and this takes a while for everybody to adapt to one another.
0: Yeah, that's uh, – it's an interesting dynamic between yeah. you know, oh, trying yeah. to Im- well, trying to improve uh, our reduce our footprint on Mother Nature and, and yeah. harvest these renewable energy sources while also not disrupting the yeah. ecosystem. Because it's one,
1: of, it's one of those things that I should pull some papers and in another podcast, we should come go back through it because I do think there's some really interesting work that's going on in that area. And we can and talk about that in specific because we ought to give a shout out to some of the, the people who are actually working on that problem.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's uh, there's just so many, you know, you you solve one problem and then you create two more right. little ones that you then have to address and that seems like just part of the oh yeah you know, the industry expanding.
1: Yeah, totally. So one of the things uh, uh, that we've been working on here at, at uh, WeatherGuard Lightning Tech over the last uh, couple of months is we've been doing a bunch of research, uh, in particular with uh, wind turbine blades and also uh, as part of our, our strike tape uh, product as we've been going back and looking at some research, and I, I want to during some of these podcasts, I want to talk about some of the things that uh, we have uh, seen. Some papers, more recent papers that have come up, and and, and particularly uh, places like ResearchGate and those sort of uh, research-oriented websites where people are starting to publish their papers. I'm gonna I want to talk about one today in particular because I thought it was interesting. I was looking through it again last night. It's it's called um, a review of experimental study, no, sorry, a review on experimental study of wind turbine blade lightning protection system. And it's produced by the North China electric power university in Beijing, China. And so it, you can find that paper on research gate and you just download it off the internet, but they had a really interesting thing because they had tried essentially three different ways of providing lightning protection to a wind turbine blade. they, they, uh, metalized the very tip of the wind turbine blade. They put on three receptors along the, the length of the wind turbine blade. And then um, there was a sort of a third technique, which was in, it just involved uh, looking at uh, salts and that sort of thing, contamination on the surface. So they they did some lightning tests on that. And the the, the interesting thing about those different configurations, they thought, well, this, you know, one of these has got to work. Like, come on, right? mm mm-hmm. uh, and what they found was that the, they were simulating lightning strikes to, the, to these different configurations, and they would test it. So the, the way this thing works is you've, you have, and they're, they're, it looks like their laboratories outside. So they have like a 5.4 megavolt uh, high-voltage generator. So a high-voltage generator is used to simulate the high-voltage effects of lightning, and it, it also tells you where lightning is likely to attach. So you, it's what we call lightning attachment tests. Okay, think it's this idea that, hey, is our, lightning prote- is our lightning protection system working the way that it should? And is it as efficient as we think that it is? So when they ran these tests, uh, one of the things they, they noticed straight out is the polarity mattered. Uh, so the polarity of the high voltage generator mattered in terms of the success of the lightning protection system. So from what I, I, what I can read from the paper, so it's not exactly clear in the paper, but I just want to point this out, is that when the lightning generator was negative polarity, that means the blade is positive polarity. The lightning protection systems work really well, it doesn't really matter what the configuration is. Hmm. When When the lightning generator is positive polarity, and that makes the blade negative, they had a lot more punctures and randomness to where the lightning would attach on the blade. So that's something we actually see out in the field as some randomness as to where lightning will attach to a blade Uh, and it also seemed to matter they did some really interesting tests basically uh, orienting the blade whether it was vertically straight up like the tip pointing strip in the air towards the lightning generator which is above it or uh, laying sort of on its side like a 30 degree angle different way different results in the lightning protection system how efficient that it was as a, as a blade mm-hmm. moved from directly pointing straight up towards the towards the sky where the lightning generator was uh that was that worked pretty well as soon as you start to rotate off of that you start having big changes in the efficiency of the lightning protection system so it it points out a couple of things uh it, it sort of highlights the really key facts here all these lightning protection systems they were testing essentially have a basically a, a cable, a copper cable running up and down the blade. And then they have something at the end of the blade, it would be it a receptor or a, a metalized tip at the, at the end. Uh, and the, that copper conductor, the down conductor that's stuck inside the blade, even though you can't see it, it's still active lightning can see that thing essentially what it boils down to lightning can still see that thing so as you go as you move the blade from pointing straight up to pointing on its side that cable that down conductor in the blade is still as attractive as ever in fact it's probably working harder than the 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 luminized tip or the the single receptor at the blade end Uh, in terms of being attractive that is a big deal Right. So what they were simulating in the lab is actually something we have seen in real life data coming back for the field, which is we're seeing lightning strikes on sort of standard blade protection systems where we have a receptor near the end of the blade. Uh, Those receptors aren't as efficient. And it looks like there's really two reasons why. One is a polarity, what the polarity of the lightning uh, event is, because sometimes depending on, on how the cloud is formed, usually the, positive is up high and then the negative charge is down low in the cloud, but those can flip over and there's a lot of variation in that. Uh, and then the second is just the the orientation of the blade, mm-hmm. where it is relative to the cloud seems to make a big difference. So it tells you that you really have to do your homework uh, in terms of lightning protection. You need to be looking at not the easy configuration, which is point the blade up in the sky, see if something hits it. Yeah, okay, great. Looks great. Off we go. What what happens in real life and what they have found in this paper is that as you get in real-world situations, the probabilities go down in terms of the efficiency, which means the, the likelihood of having some sort of structural damage to blade goes way up.
0: Yeah, just yeah. more variability of where it can hit it and just the There's, way it's going to hit it and all that. Yeah,
1: stuff. yeah. and the, I think the interesting thing about it is, is that Uh, and I wonder if I, you know, if we ever get a chance to talk to these researchers to see what they would say, but I think from our experience, what you want to do in a wind turbine blade is start the ionization process and control where things start on the blade every single time. And that's what our strike tape product does, but that, that data also proves out when you don't do it. So if you don't control where things start, it becomes Mm -hmm. random. Yeah. It becomes random, and that's a that's trouble when you get randomness in any sort of thing, especially if it, you're talking about a 20-year lifespan and going through seeing a lot of thunderstorms and a lot of rain events and those sort of things. Eventually, over time, the odds don't get in your favor. You, it's unlikely you're going to make it 20 years without having some sort of strike,
0: lightning yeah, strike. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, with these down conductors, do they have any kind of shielding? Do they have any kind of insulation? I mean, can that be a potential improvement, or are they just completely bare copper wire?
1: They're both. Uh, it used to be that they were pretty much all just bare wire, or if they had some sort of insulation on them, sort of minimal installation just uh, for handling. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they kind of get buried in or wrapped in the fiberglass of the blade. Sometimes it just keeps them from moving around. The thing you don't want is the, the, the cable constantly banging around yeah. back and forth yeah. on the structure. Right. Uh, more recently, they have, I've seen a lot of work done where they put a very, a very thick plastic coating over that wire. So act as an, um, an insulator to try to prevent that wire from becoming energized and reaching out into space and trying to connect with the thunderstorm. In my opinion, that's, it's going to be somewhat effective, particularly early. Uh, mm-hmm. But over time, as things wear and tear, uh, the insulation is not going to be. It's not made for this, you know. It, 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 designing a piece of wire never <laughs> designing a piece of wire with I don't care what the insulation is on it. Designing a piece of wire with a piece of insulation on it, and in the hopes that lightning doesn't ever get there, you're going to keep things from from getting there is a little murky. I think the I think the initial trials of it. Wouldn't make sense like if you if you took a brand new blade and you had a brand new cable and it's got this nice coating of insula- plastic insulation over top of the of that down conductor it's probably going to do pretty well in the lab it may work you know it may work great in the lab uh, but there's a lot of wear and tear on these blades over time if that insulation becomes damaged and you're back to square one again mm-hmm. um, so the you know the the ultimate um, We're going to have to let it play out a little bit. I think that's what it, I've seen some reports come back so far that has said it does help, but it's not completely eliminating the problem, which is punctures of the blade. So obviously anything you do to help reduce the cost or uh, increase, you know, increase the survivability of the blade or reduce the number of damaging strikes you should do, but there's also sort of a, a cost impact with trying to Use a cable with a very thick insulator. So there's just differing opinions upon it. I, I think it can work in some aspects. I think it probably can't hurt. I just would not know if I rely on it for the next 20 years.
0: Yeah. Well, I wonder if, um, have you seen how they fill uh, electro junction boxes now in some situations with silicone? Yes. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. And you wonder if that could be applied. Obviously, like you couldn't do that over a whole whole blade because there'd be no, so really? much of it, but maybe if you had, like <laughs> a channel that the blades in or that the conductors no. in, yeah. you could sort of install it where it's fixed and then sort of fill it in with silicone or something. But yeah, I thought that, was, that was really interesting. Uh, that's like one of those, like, why didn't I think of this 20 years <laughs> ago? Like you fill the whole box with silicone. <laughs> And it's just uh, impervious to everything. Well, I think there's, a, is,
1: yeah, I think yeah. there's a sense of scale there, right? Uh, mm-hmm. On on household items, everybody thinks it has a little bit of voltage on it—thousand uh, volts, two thousand volts, three thousand volts, kind of thing. Uh, those plastics can do pretty well there, right? But and the problem with lightning is that the voltages get so dang high. Uh, yeah. you're, you're talking about millions and millions of volts, and you're talking about uh, a very tough environmental situation that's where I, I start to scratch my head and say oh you know plastics are not really made for this is this going to last all that long we don't really have any data
0: they last a long time in the ocean <laughs> yeah right <laughs> they last plastics wherever you don't want them they last
1: yeah yeah as yeah. we're finding with the oh gosh what's the name of the group that's out there recovering the plastics out in the ocean right now yeah it's surprising yeah. We've, we've been trying to follow those guys boy slat and um uh, Oh, I can't think of the name of the place, but yeah, they're doing a lot of great work. And that's one of the things that I was talking to my wife about this the other day, like plastics are
0: lasting forever. They've been in the ocean
1: hanging out there for years and years and years. Yeah.
0: Yeah. The baleen whales, they've got, they've yeah. got water bottles from 1975 still in their yeah. stomachs. Unfortunately, it's that's, yeah. that's terrible.
1: We got to do better. Right. We got to do better. Yeah. We yeah. are. I mean, obviously we're trying to do better.
0: Yeah. At least sea glass becomes... You know, like jewelry 20 years later, <laughs> you know, the right, hippies can that, come claim it and we can repurpose it that way. But, yeah. uh, well, Alan, uh, great episode today. Yeah, um, thanks, good, good chatting with you. Um, so we'll be back here next week, uh, on the uptime podcasts and, um, probably dive into some more of this research because I think that's a, it's a good direction to go. And there's, I mean, there's so much, you know, with the spread of information with the old internets, you know, there's, a. Uh, there's obviously more sharing than of information than there was, you know, 20 years ago when a lot of these oh, yeah. turbines easier just getting to get started. Yeah a, yeah. a lot easier so to get
1: access, access to information now.
0: No doubt. Yeah. So absolutely. So if you're listening at home, thank you for being here. Be sure to subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, give us a subscribe and a like on YouTube because we obviously have video versions of all these episodes and check out our Instagram page, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter uh, for clips of the show. And um, thank you again, Alan. And we'll see you here next week. See you next week.